Good morning. I trust everyone's well today. Can I read you something this morning from the elders and the trustees? It is five weeks since the brutal killing of George Floyd. In response, Kevin shared his personal views in a video. Collectively, we paused as we took communion on the 7th of June and we disseminated the statement from our denomination leaders at Assemblies of God Great Britain. Sue's also been looking at the issue of racism with our young people. Now the news cycle's moving on, but we have decided to make a further statement outlining our stance and future actions as a church as we stand together to stamp out the evils of racism, especially white supremacy. Racism is an affront to God. It's born out of ignorance and must be eradicated. We all bear the responsibility and must play our part to eliminate this scourge on humanity. At this time in particular, we grieve with our black community, many of whom have suffered such appalling injustice. We believe that God created all people in his image and Jesus died for all. In doing so, he destroyed the dividing wall of, of hostility, which we read of in Ephesians 2 verse 14. He did so to make known the manifold wisdom of God, that we read of in Ephesians 3 verse 10. The Greek word for manifold is polypoikilos. It appears once in the New Testament, but it's also the word used in the Old Testament to describe Joseph's coat of many colours. The beauty is in the diversity. The church is meant to reflect the manifold wisdom of God. It is meant to be diverse. When we come together as individuals, we become the church and form the body of Christ. And though there are different parts, they form one body. Bodies have arms and legs. Both are important. But if your leg is hurting, that's where your attention goes. And for that reason, we will say Black Lives Matter and do so without signing up to any wider political agenda under that banner. We are not saying one life matters more than another and indeed every life matters. But at this current moment, we need to stand together with the black community. We are so thankful for the ethnic diversity within the church at Junction 10 and we echo the statement issued by our denomination leaders. We stand united, believing for an end to the days when people are judged, dehumanised or vilified because of the colour of their skin or background. As a church, we commit to examining ourselves, to listen and learn as we pursue justice and to being part of the solution which will see the evil of racism eradicated from society. Moving forward as a body, we want to illuminate our oneness in Christ, to emphasise the importance of social justice and to highlight hypocrisy, reflecting God's take on equality and justice for all. In addition, we'll give opportunity for all parts of the church to discuss their experiences of racism and how, if we as a body, need to change rhetoric or habits to ensure that we operate a fully inclusive reflection of the likeness of God. More than that, though, we look to celebrate the cultural diversity of the church at Junction 10. We will undertake these actions prayerfully and in context with scripture because we, the church, have to set the example to the world. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. That's from the Junction 10 Elders and Trustees. So, we want to spend some time this morning just considering what our response as a church family should be to the killing of George Floyd. I'm fairly certain none of us has ever met, uh, none of us has ever met or, or knew George, but most, if not all of us, will have witnessed his final earthly moments as they were captured on film. This is an emotive subject, and I'd like to think that we are all horrified by the images from Minneapolis. But after that initial reaction, how are we left feeling? Angry? Upset? Powerless? Scared? Motivated? We have stated that black lives matter, but recognise that there is some reluctance amongst people from all backgrounds to use that phrase because of some of the wider political aims of the people behind the movement. We say it without aligning ourselves with any wider agenda. And another way to think about it is that people raise uh, money to help find a cure for cancer, but some specifically choose to fundraise to fight breast cancer. But going back to what people felt about the George Floyd killing after that initial horror, for me, it was the sense of injustice at the situation. Maybe because I've worked in the criminal justice system for over 20 years. And being really honest, there was also a sense of, I'm not sure what to do. When I started work, it wasn't long after the Stephen Lawrence inquiry had been published. A young black man murdered on the streets of London in 1993. The inquiry stated the police was institutionally racist and there was a lot of examination of agencies within the criminal justice system. Sadly, it wasn't always done in a way so as to engage everyone in tackling the issue because that's the only way we are going to tackle it is if we do stand together. 27 years later and there's tragically another body of a black man on the street. Yes, it's in America this time but if we think this isn't a problem in the UK, then we are mistaken. Just think about some of the stories or issues from this country recently. Last Monday, it saw the second, sorry, it saw the 72nd anniversary of the arrival of the Windrush generation in 1950. Look at how they've been treated, and it still hasn't been resolved. Is the role of black soldiers in the World War recognised? And what about their treatment afterwards? Look at the ethnicities of the Grenfell Tower victims. And what research is being done into the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on the black community? What extra is being done to protect them from the disease? You know, as I thought about this situation, my mind went to Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. To achieve justice means to make right. I'm not legally trained, but my current role at work means that I've got to, uh, to have an understanding of certain legislation to ensure the process of justice is followed. I have colleagues who work with some very challenging, even unpleasant people, but they have to work with them within the limits of the law. They can't say to people uh, that they've been directed to supervise that I'm going to take you back to court because I don't like you. There has to be some sort of breach of the supervision rules. When there is, the case goes to court 
and the magistrates or the judge decides how the wrongdoing is going to be made right, how justice will be achieved. Throughout the Bible, justice is an important concept. Justice is a central characteristic to the kingdom of God. The people of God are called to seek justice, as we read in Micah, not just for themselves, but also for others. During his ministry, Jesus demonstrated justice, justice with love. He touched the lepers, he healed bleeding women, and he even ministered to the Gentiles. The rich and the powerful, the Roman and the Jewish religious leaders, they didn't like what Jesus said and did, and they crucified him. But God raised Jesus from the dead, and in doing so demonstrated that love overcomes power. And the God that did that is the God of justice. Just think back to the injustices that we've referred to. The Windrush generation, Grenfell Tower, the disproportionate impact of COVID-19. The challenge for us individually and as a church is to see justice achieved in those areas. And any others we can think of, or those that, are, are yet, that we are yet to have knowledge of. Justice rolling like a river. When a healthy river rolls, nothing gets in its way. I'm going to hand over to Phil Miles now, my very good friend, who's going to share a few more thoughts on justice and righteousness. I'm going to read from quite a well-known part of scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on by the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, no, go now and do the same. I was reminded recently in some of the discussions we've been having um, in planning today's service about when I went to Ghana a number of years ago, about 12 years ago. And it was an amazing time uh, just working with churches out there and uh, discovering more about their culture. And it was a brilliant time for me and the team who went there. But on the way back, as we're travelling the eight hour journey across back to the capital, 
we stopped at uh, one of their most well-known castles. It's called Cape Coast. And you may have seen it because when Barack Obama went to Ghana, he stood there, he went and visited uh, that castle. And it is in the most beautiful area. You're seeing out to the ocean and it's sparkling sea. And the views are tremendous. But this was a slave fort and one of the most notorious. There were quite a few across the African coast and they were used as where the slaves would stay before they made their journey across to wherever they were dispatched. And as we've been journeying across this this castle and we're having a tour and they're telling us and they're taking us into the dungeons and the different places, it truly was horrific talking and hearing about what went on there. But the thing that struck me and struck the others who were there was the story of as we got out of the dungeons and they showed us this small building and said, this is the church that was on Cape Coast Castle. And they then went on to explain about how where the grills were. And you could see them there. They said, we haven't changed anything. And you could see down into the slave pits where thousand or more would be there waiting. And they said, you wouldn't know this where you are now, but there would be cries. There would be smells. There would be all sorts of things they'd see, sights that anyone who went into this church wouldn't be able to ignore. Well, they wouldn't be able to ignore the actual sense of it. But they might have ignored it as they walked past because the same people did this week after week. And they said they wouldn't have stopped. They would have just said, I'm on my way to church. This, what's going on down there, doesn't matter. And as I was thinking and reflecting, this story's come back to me many times over the years. But especially at the moment, it's very easy to think when we're talking about a a story like the Good Samaritan or the story of what happened at Cape Coast going, well, that was then. But we can do that in many ways. We can be so focused on our own lives that we're walking past injustice. We're choosing to ignore what's going on around us. I know on many occasions I've been guilty of that. Jesus points that our neighbours are everywhere and we need to make sure that we are not ignoring the suffering of those who need it. I hope this story has been helpful and as we're reflecting more together, just thinking about what things maybe have you ignored over the past? What is God prompting to you to say, now's the time to make a stand. Now's the time not to put it on the back burner. I just pray that each of us hearts will be touched to think about how God is speaking to us in this one. Thanks Phil. To be righteous means to be right in the eyes of God. It includes character, conscience, conduct and command or, or our words. Would God have seen those people walking above the slaves to enter the church almost certainly wearing their finest clothes, possibly even pressing the Bible against their nose to, to try and hide the, the smell, would God have seen them as righteous? 
Where does that sit with God's standards? Did you know that when slavery, slavery was abolished, compensation was paid out? Not to the slaves, though, to the slave owners. Included in that was the Church of England. The Church of England received money because their slaves were set free. And that's not a dig particularly at the Church of England because our denomination didn't exist at the time. But that's how messed up things got. You know, we won't find ourselves in those situations today. But what about the people, the injustices that we walk past in our day-to-day lives? I want to say thank you to the guys from Pit Stop for keeping the issues of modern-day slavery in our minds and for all that you're doing to try and stop that evil. We're going to play a video now, the video which Kev recorded of his personal reflections in the days after George Floyd's death. You may have seen it before, but please watch it again, listen again, in light of what we've looked at this morning. Blessings to you, dear friends. Um, We're living in interesting times. Uh, Clearly, our COVID-19 era has fundamentally uh, shaken um, the way we live life and will shake our lives for the foreseeable future. Um, Also of equal importance Many people have been the uh, ripples, reverberations of the death of George Floyd. And as a a black man uh, in the UK, uh, growing up in a society where there had been challenges which have been articulated, in terms of my experience with the issues around race and racism. Um, I've taken some time to reflect on what my response is to that and responsibility. And I wrote some few, a few words last Sunday just for my own benefit, which I then shared on on my own social media feed. And um, I just want to read them to you, uh, friends, if that's okay. And I started with a a line of scripture from Acts chapter 2, and it says this. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I wrote, as Pentecost 2020 closes, which was last week, Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the people were perplexed. And they asked the question, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabs, In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? 
And as I reflected, I wrote, well, what does it mean today? The Apostle Paul said to all the crowds in response, all flesh, all flesh, he said. So that means irrespective of their ethnicity, the color of their skin, can and have received God's promise of hope. And hope was a word that we spoke about in both of our Pentecost services. And I wrote in my reflections, as eyes are being opened, albeit lately, to the generational and systemic wickedness, it is wickedness, of racism, personified recently in the slaying of George Floyd, and in folks' everyday experience, even my own, I'm reflecting once again on what I and what we must do to remove the blockages to hope. Peter in the first Pentecost said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation and say we must. The first church created a new economy in the midst of the most corrupt, which is Rome. Having all things in common, a new economy, a new economy where everyone prospers, works, lives, plays, learns and worships, and yes, lives, lives life to the full, even black males. And what I and others call an economy of together. And this to date has been my own personal life's work. Many of you know the things I've been involved with in education and employment and working to mobilize the body of Christ to realize their potential within and without. And particularly now in this COVID-19 season, I still have this hope, even in the midst of the challenges. And it hit me last week on Sunday when I had to sit down with my daughters and talk through the issues. Although they have mixed heritage, um, their skin is a few shades darker than mine or lighter rather than mine. And they will face, and what a conversation fathers of my background have to have with their children. This is the reality for those who perhaps don't appreciate um, the challenges people of color have to face, is that our uh, people, if you will, are judged by the colour of the skin. And I've seen that as I've tried to shape education programmes. I've seen that when I've looked at how people can access work. And that is the fight that we have to fight, not just as a community of people of colour, but as you know, when I speak of the economy of together is how do we mobilise and motivate everyone 
to play their role and play their part. And part of that is about educating ourselves. It's about dialogue. It's about recognizing that there are issues and these aren't just imagined. And not to be uh, distracted by um, things that take you off the issue. You see on the news where some of the peaceful demonstration has been infiltrated by uh, violent disorder. Now don't get me wrong, I can understand, and I do understand that the frustration of many of people who don't see a system changing very quickly or experience daily the outworkings of racism may, through ignorance or through other means, resort to that kind of disorder. But let us not ignore the reality that we do have to face is wickedness. And the message of the kingdom of God as us believers in Christ is that we contend for the peace and prosperity of our towns, our cities, for every citizen. And where there is inequality or injustice, we work hard to level it up, call it out for what it is. Now I know this message may not be received by many of people or those who would either say it's an exaggeration. All I can tell you is my experience as a, uh, someone in their mid-40s who's gone through that journey, who is an overcomer or tries to be and will not give up on society because I believe in the message of the kingdom of God. And I know my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you do as well. So we need to keep talking, keep praying, keep working out solutions to address the issues that our society faces. I'm praying, I know you are as well. God bless you. Thank you, Kevin. What stood out for me was the comment Kev made about having to talk to his children about this issue. As I said, a range of emotions have been stirred in individuals and it might have been tempting for us to say, this is too difficult. We're scared of saying the wrong thing publicly. Well, in Galatians 2, we read that Paul challenged Peter over something similar and we can draw parallels from that. Let me read you. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. To ignore the issue or to say nothing isn't an option and can indeed cause greater harm. Let's pray that Kevin's generation is the last generation that has to have this kind of discussion with their children. As we said, we want to listen, we want to learn. Maybe you could send us a video with your experiences and stories. Drop us an email or give us a call. If we as a church are to be, uh, if we 
are to be a church with Jesus at the centre, then we have to truly reflect and be a true reflection of the likeness of God. So justice and righteousness. If we seek justice, it's a good indication that we're on the path to righteousness. And if we pursue righteousness, we will be driven to achieve justice for others. Jesus endured the injustice of the cross so that we could all go free. And we as Christians are called to end injustice. Thank you for listening this morning.